Hello and welcome to the MADECAST, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment, a series of lectures on video game history as part of the MADE's ongoing effort to preserve history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits of rare games and consoles. While life in the time of COVID has forced us to close our doors, the support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to you through lectures and interviews like the one you'll hear in a few minutes. I'm Chen. I'm Anthony. I'm Miles. And I'm Red. Today, Alex talks with David Perry, developer of Earthworm Jim and Aladdin for the Sega Genesis and many other games. Uh, He's here to talk about the ZX ZX Spectrum, his first computer, the evolution of games, and some of his favorite titles. Uh, This is a very interesting conversation. He's a joy to hear talk and uh, everything about his bringing up in games and how he still is inspired about working on them to date so i think that's really great but before we get into this interview with mr david perry we have a short list of news items for you today the matrix 4 uh the trailer has been released um it looks like it's pretty great uh definitely gonna be more matrixy you know uh, I think they took some good notes of which which uh, the original three uh, were the popular ones and went with that for the fourth one. Um, but wanted to bring that up because David also has worked on Enter the Matrix and The Path of Neo, both those console games when they came out. So maybe, fingers crossed, we'll get another Matrix game with David at the helm. Uh, <laughs> we will see. We will see. Uh, in other news, we have a couple milestones. So, t- uh, I'm not super familiar with it. So, tell me about Gary's Mod. Gary's Mod has just passed 20 million copies sold. Uh, so, Gary's Mod is built on a slightly modified version of Valve's Source Engine, which is what they use for all of their games. Uh, Portal, Half-Life, mm-hmm. Team Fortress 2. Um, <laughs> that's it. No, <laughs> That's it. That, those are their games. <laughs> and... Uh, so, I th- I can't remember when Gary's Mod originally launched, but it was like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I think. Um, and it was built originally just by uh, Gary Newman of Gary. Uh, this is his mm, mod of Gary fame. Yeah, Gary fame. All of Gary's know Gary Newman. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it is essentially just a physics sandbox game. It's kind of. It's not Minecraft. There's no actual game there. It's just you load it up and put uh, uh, ragdolls in and uh, play with all the props from all the ha- or um, from all Valve titles. Um, you know, you can put zombies in. You can do whatever you want. You can play with physics. You can throw things. Uh, and it's extremely open-ended. So a lot of people have s- taken that original concept and made really remarkable. Uh, game modes out of it. So this is where you get uh, games like Trouble in Terrorist Town uh, or mm, Prop Hunt or okay. Melon Bomber or any of the uh, like dozens and dozens of different kinds of RP servers. So it's mm. it's grown into this very complex and beloved thing out of just something that you were supposed to just goof around in and, and you know, smash things together with. It's almost, yeah, it's almost like it's just become another engine of itself. Mm-hmm like another place for people to create games and then put them out like how how daisy kind of started or was it yeah yeah 
This kind oh, of game can okay. always survive long. I still remember it's not Garrison, but it's Left 4 Dead. But you know they 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 are doing the same kind of set, which having a bunch of mods, which different, which actually just make another game of it. I remember mm-hmm. I remember I was playing on a server called uh, the Left 4 Dead RPG, and in the game there's a lot of jobs and skills you can use, and it's technically just cheating, but they. <laughs> it's very fun just play <laughs> imagine there's a few a few rocket launchers just floating behind you and they would just mm-hmm. shoot enemies for yourself and there are tanks Ooh. in different colors who have different abilities like poison and something other things else like that and it's really fun playing that so. poison tanks yeah poison tanks <laughs> yeah you'd be if you got hit you'd be poisoned to death i, I remember there's a blue tank which can summon thunder too, but <laughs> Ooh, yeah, geez. that's pretty fun. But I think that's why the games like Garry's Mod can survive such a long time and still be popular. They just keep refreshing itself, and it's never mm-hmm. ending. Yeah, I, like I, that's going to be. I mean, twenty million copies is a very large landmark, and I think that's really cool to see that many people. Uh, Using a, using a mod, made by Gary. <laughs> I think that's really, it's really interesting. I'm gonna have to give that a check out later today, just see what we can do with it. Uh, our last little bit of news that we have is that Stardew Valley, uh, official esport, has passed 15 million copies sold. So, I think that esports push for Stardew Valley has increased people's uh, desire to play it and get really good at it now. So we will be seeing that very soon, mm-hmm. but I think it's about time we threw it over to Alex and David Perry today. Uh, this is a great interview. I think everyone will enjoy this. It's a lot of great insight uh, into the game making itself and what is and how to be inspired almost. Uh, so here it is, Alex and David Perry. And we're back with David Perry. David, thank you for being here. No problem. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, David, you're as absolutely legendary. We could go through all the things from top to bottom, from Earthworm Jim to people still love the Aladdin game for Genesis and so forth. But I'm, I'm wondering, which system do you have the most fond memories of that you developed for back in the day? Oh, that's a great question. I would say probably I would have to go right back to the first computer I was allowed to touch so in school we had this uh, computer lab and they wouldn't let me in so they they thought I was too young and um, I was kind of interested in what's in this secret room and and I finally got to got in there and it turns out the people were really nice so they they were like you know hey let me show you what this is this is a Sinclair ZX81 or, uh, and uh, it, it, this thing is one cave memory, and it's got this thing called basic. And let me just show you how that works. And and they sort of they they showed me like two or three instructions, and then just left me. <laughs> so I was like, okay, you know, input what is your name, print hello, and then I'm like, well, I can do things with that. And I started trying to make a, you know, it, it ask all these questions. And so it's just it 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 was just the first thing I touched or was allowed to touch, and that's what made it special. Um, on the other hand. I didn't realize that this was really a thing, and so I ended up, those simple little games that I wrote in BASIC ended up getting published in, in magazines, and so it, it became by far the most interesting thing in my life. I've got school, 
There's no internet. There's no YouTube. <laughs> Nothing like that. I'm living in, in the countryside in Northern Ireland, and it's freezing cold outside. And so um, video games suddenly became fascinating, and that was the device that did it. Now, the Spectrum was an extremely limited device, so, I mean, that's like, you had to learn from the ground up every little bit of the thing, didn't you? Yeah, I still I still chuckle when I hire engineers today, and I explain to them that everything I did in the old days, um, you know, once we actually started making real games, was all, it's called machine code or assembly language, but basically you're actually in complete control of the hardware, and you're responsible for everything, and I, I you just, that... Even though it seemed quite complicated, you know, as kids, you just adapt. Whatever the problems are, you, you find out solutions. And then you can start making the, the device do anything you want. And I think there's a key moment. I try to explain to people what, what programming is. It's like puzzle solving. You keep... It's, it's endless puzzle solving. And, and you know that moment when you, um, like, you complete a Rubik's Cube or something like that, there, that you, you've, you've beaten the puzzle? Imagine you're just getting those aha moments, those little... Um, that feeling over and over and over and over as you're as you're developing software, and so um, I just had a lot of fun um, in those days, sort of learning to to get to. Well, I guess like the moment was when you when you suddenly realize you could make anything. There's there's this key moment where you're like, I could make a soccer game, I could make a Tetris, I could make a. There's no you you sort of have worked out enough of the machine and enough of the language to be able to pretty much craft anything, and I think that's an amazing moment. Um, that, that it's very hard to go back from once you get there. I think one of the other things that is you've seen the evolution of over the years is the genres. You sort of hit on it there. You know, I could make a Tetris, I could make a this, I could make a that. And uh, the genres in video games are so much are such a different entity than in movies. Say, uh, what what do you think of the way that games have evolved in terms of blending genres and and the resurgence of say the old two D scrollers and so forth and Metroidvanias? You know, one of the things that I I always um, I, it was funny because I was just explaining this to my daughter yesterday is the idea of of always having a hook. So we used to really believe strongly in that whatever game we made, it would do something you hadn't seen before. And, and it was inspired by the arcade machines because that's what they did. Every time you played a new arcade machine, you're like, how does this even, how do I even control it, right? Like, I put my face in here. <laughs> you know, what am I going to do with this thing? You know, there's a ball. What does that ball do? Um, and that, that was really fun. And what happened over time is the arcade machines sort of standardized. And, and, and then it was just, you know, the, the, a joystick with some buttons. And it started to become actually quite boring at that point. But that's... That's the point, right? We, we're always looking for new experiences. It is stunning to me how we locked into this sort of set of games. You know, it's a, it's a platformer, it's a, you know, a simulator, or whatever. There's, there's these very clear defined things. And I'm, I'm always yearning for more and more where someone comes up with something we just haven't seen before. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a game Factorio, I think is a good example, where you're, you're laying out, you know, you're basically sort of working out how to how to solve really complex problems. Um, Minecraft, you know, there's another one. What the heck? Uh, it, it's because that actually goes the opposite direction. We thought the industry was going, which is, you know, I want sweat simulation and cloth simulation. And suddenly you've got these big pixely swords and things like that. It's like, wait, wait, wait. Uh, I, that's not the way this is supposed to go. And so it sort of shows that there's such a wide space and, and, and ultimately people just want to be entertained. But I'm always fascinated by those people who can just come up with that thing that you just haven't seen before. They're, they're going to make a new genre. They're going to make a new experience. 
And that's what I love when, when you get um, bedroom coders or, or you get, um, you know, when a new device comes out, like the, the uh, iPhone, suddenly a whole ton of new sort of talent came in and started dreaming up ideas. And so are we done yet? Like you sort of say, well, we must have done everything by now. <laughs> like what else is there left? I think there's loads left. I think we haven't, we're only just getting started. And I, I still am holding out that someday um, uh, VR and things like that will, will, you know, open it up even more. So, you know, um, just, just a, a funny story. I, I once, uh, I was doing a presentation and I had this slide in my deck which showed um, the chainsaw industry, all the different chainsaws everyone makes, and they all look exactly the same, and, and they're just different colors. And <laughs> I kind of laughed and went, I hope that never happens to games. And then I was like, well, hold on a minute. I took a bunch of screenshots from games, and I showed them to the press, and I said, can you tell me which games these are from? And they couldn't tell us, because it's the, you know, you're in this, this refinery or this warehouse and there's boxes and there's a certain gun which we've seen in 50 different games and so it was kind of fun because they and, and I did the same with soccer games so I had all these different soccer games and, and the same thing as guys on the field and they were finding it really hard to identify which was which and so the question is is where does that go and uh, and, and my sort of hope is at some point um, we get to we get back into making worlds um, and when you make entirely new worlds, then, then you know, that's going to open up some new spaces and new ideas that, that, that people, um, you know, haven't experienced yet. And a good example in, in Hollywood be, would be someone like James Cameron. He's not just knocking out a story. He's building a universe around it, as we're about to find out with Avatar in his next four movies, right? Uh, <laughs> but that, that's, that's the, the, the video game equivalent is... Um, is you know, whenever you're able to go into a space that, that's, that's never existed and, and you can create anything you want, I can't wait to see what developers come up with for that. Yeah, and I, can, I really I asked that question because Shiny really exemplifies that pushing at the boundaries and trying to innovate. And, and you know, for better or worse in a lot of games, I, like Sacrifice, I thought was a very high note, but, uh, you know, sort of a cult classic now, where it's blending genres or taking, you know, trying to do lots of new things in addition to building this completely new world with these really vibrant characters and the gods, right? Like, uh, you can you can see what you just said throughout your career, I guess I'm saying. Yeah, we had so much fun. Because uh, that's usually what would start an idea, um, and then uh, and, and then you, you go off. But I, I used to love playing Sacrifice with the gamers who played it, because I knew the game inside out because we built it. But gamers would kick my butt, and they'd be playing, like, they'd play backwards, like, running backwards and stuff, and it's like they've learned the map without seeing it and things like that. And it was funny because, uh, you know, you, I, I think it really taught me just how incredible some of the gamers are. When you, when you go to places like China, I've actually watched people play games in China where you can't see their fingers because they're just a blur, right? They're, like, <laughs> they're going so fast, and it's just fun to watch to see a human perform at that level. But um, Sacrifice, I got absolutely owned, and, uh, and I thought that was really, really fun um, to, to play with. Oh, well, that game, that game demanded a lot from the player. Yeah. I mean, that was, you had to do the RTS thing with the FPS thing, Yes, right? yes. And uh, we had cool tech in it, and the tech was, um, uh, we were very proud of. It, it was the concept of real-time tessellation. So what was happening is it looked into, there was this sort of fun thing that we had going on, which is, 
we're, we're making a game today, but we're never going to see it at full potential. So if you run it on better hardware, it's going to add more detail that we can't see today. And, um, and, it, and it does that um, in, a, in a neat way. So we'd actually d define on the bodies where polygons would be taken away. And so, and, and f f flowers could disappear. What can disappear from the scene without destroying it? And, um, and, and an example would be on a human's face, for example, you'd say the nose has to stay, right? Because the minute the nose collapses, the face breaks, right? Or a shoulder disappears and collapses, that looks really bad. Um, but there's lots of polygons can go. And so what would happen is we'd spin up tornadoes and things like that. And, um, and we learned something kind of interesting, which is there's only a finite amount of space on a computer screen. And so if I have five tornadoes going, you can't see what's behind them anyway, right? Because <laughs> the whole screen's going crazy. And so you go, well, can we do 10 tornadoes? Well, you can, because you can't see what's going on behind them. Um, and so that's an interesting, um, that there's a, I think there's, inter there's something interesting about that, which means you can sort of step up what you think you can do because of the sort of limitations of what we can actually see in, in a complex environment. A lot of engineers would say, there's no point in doing that. You couldn't do 10 tornadoes. It would just look terrible. And it's like, well, no, actually, you can because of the limitations of the viewport that you're looking through. Um, and so we just had some very cool engineers that were happy to try and experiment and invent as they went. And, um, and that's sort of a bit of an unlock to the, to the design team uh, when that happens. And how do you keep engineers so creative when they have to sort of come in every day and take two hours of coffee just to get back into it and keep it going? How do you keep people like that going? I actually define it as, um, have you ever been in a meeting and somebody keeps telling you why something can't be done? You know, they're like, oh, <laughs> yes. problem, problem, problem. I call them hurdle pointers. They just point at all the problems. And it gets really tiresome because they're not really suggesting any solutions. They're just telling you why you can't do things. And, um, and I've learned that those engineers, there's kind of two kinds of engineers I can't really work with. One is hurdle pointers. And the second is just, just tell me what to do. <laughs> just, just give me a list of things to do and I'll do them. That's great, but that's not what we're looking for. Um, we're looking for people who get the goal and are, and are actually going to invent. Um, I call, when I talk to engineers, I, I say, you know, wherever you are today, you could be working for some big corporation like Adobe or Facebook or something, but I'll bet you're washing the dishes, which means that you're coming to your cubicle every day and you're just doing whatever you're told to do and, and punching tickets like here's a list of what you need me to do and I'll just do them it's versus actually being on the frontier of something and actually going, hmm, this hasn't been solved before. Like when we did MDK, we had this sniper um, rifle idea and so you know the idea you could zoom in and, and shoot something accurately at distance and it just creates a myriad of well how's that going to work and I love that because now you're you're on that sort of edge of of where's this going to go what's this going to be and uh, and you know we had a lot of fun with it because we let you zoom in on a guy who's wiggling his butt at you at distance and things like that so, that, that was exactly the image that came to my mind yeah. I, the pixelated butt waving yeah. actually when but, you said that and why wouldn't you right so it's fun <laughs> and and that's ultimately what gamers are looking for i think i think they're always looking to experience something new um something that that sort of uh it's a bit like watching movies. You sort of want to see new ideas and scenes and situations that you haven't seen before. Um, I'm not looking for a rehash of all the old situations again. 
Um, and, and so when a movie like The Matrix comes along, it's usually like, wait, what? <laughs> you come away from that's incredible, right? That's something I definitely had to ask about because The Matrix had a lot of scenes filmed in Oakland, our favorite bar in Oakland, right around the corner from where they pop out of the drive, the garage and they go through the tunnel. So uh, do you have any anecdotes from that? That must have been a humongous project with lots of people and, and input and, and stakeholders. What did you come away from that, I don't know, learning or thinking of the whole experience? Well, I mean, an interesting thing is in my career, I found that I had to do a blend of things I wanted to do and things that are um, things are licensed. Um, and I, I found that if I do a game, like, let's do, I, I, I've got this great new game called Jumpy Boy. Nobody cares. They're like, whatever. Jumpy what? Um, but then you say, well... I'm doing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and that was one of my first games, and it went straight to number one. Um, suddenly, people want to work with you, and so forget Jumpy Boy. Let's 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 find another Turtles. And I did uh, the Terminator and Aladdin and things like that. But when the Matrix came along, um, to get to work with the directors was just unbelievable. They're super talented people, super smart, um, understanding culture, strangely strangely accurate memories, so they can. They can talk about. I watched the, the the directors talking to each other about the color of a light, and um, you know, and they were talking about color of light in a certain tunnel in a certain place and certain situation. And it's they just have this um, incredible memory of whatever they've seen and absorbed over the years. All the comic books, all the animes, all the um, and so it was really fun to watch them in action. You can sort of see why they're able to to really think outside the box and do cool stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, the Matrix was was. Uh, I think we bit off a little more than we can chew. If I was completely honest with you, because we did all these different SKUs and we didn't have engines for them, um, so we had to make engines and game <laughs> for each platform. But when you have something as big and important as the Matrix, it's got to go on a lot of platforms. And so I think the funniest thing was that that I actually didn't. I was so busy with sacrifice that I didn't take the time to read the first movie script. Um, so they sent me the first Matrix movie script, and I was just was sitting there. And, uh, and and in the end, I'm like, I'm so sorry, we just don't have time to do this, and we passed on it. And then the Matrix movie came out, and I sat in the theater, going, I wonder what that thing was like. <laughs> and my my wife my wife was like, This is really good. <laughs> And I'm like, I know I missed out on this. And so I got a call saying, would you like to uh, would you like to come up? Uh, this is with Joel Silver's office. Do you, want, do you want to come up and talk about the next Matrix movie? And I tell you, I, I could have got a speeding ticket going up there. I was in such, of course, you know. And so that's what got us into that second and third um, movie. Um, and and I, I think it's the second movie was peak Matrix. The, the hype was just unbelievable. Absolutely. It's also peak Oakland in the series. So yeah. I definitely agree on that. Yeah, <laughs> so. that was so cool to see like the freeway set and things like that. We got to go and do, see all of it and involved in all of the, even shooting in Australia. Um, we, we shared motion capture sets. Um, um, but it was a true collaboration. And I think that was that was a pretty phenomenal thing because that's where my sort of career had worked its way towards was, you know, when I first did the Terminator, we were excited about it because we thought you were going to be the Terminator. I, w- I want to be the Terminator. Um, and they're like, you can't be the Terminator. And we're like, well, I guess we'll be Sarah Connor then. And they're like, you can't be Sarah Connor. And, and 
then we're like, well, wait, who are we? You have to play as Kyle Reese, the guy that dies in the movie. And, uh, and that, that's what licensing was, was like in those days. Uh, and they, they also said you can't use Arnold Schwarzenegger's face in the game. You can just have the, you get the one image that they use on the posters. That's all you get to work with. Um, but don't put Arnold in the game. And so that's like, what? <laughs> so welcome to um, movie licensing back in those days. But to see people like the, the Wachowskis and, and Aladdin is the same as well. Where the the people with the, the power to say yes and no actually um, care, like they want the game to be um, authentic and real and give you access to everything you need. That was that's, and I hope it stays that way forever. Now I hope that's the future, so that so that it becomes a closer and closer collaboration with all those talented people and massive budgets um, working together. So the game experience is incredible. Uh, so what are you working on now? So these days I'm, I'm actually, uh, I sort of decided after Sony bought my last company because we were working on cloud gaming, um, which is, is thankfully still around. <laughs> so I was concerned, you know, we spent a lot of time, you know, building cloud gaming up. And uh, and so the good news is it's still around. I, um, there's millions of people paying for PlayStation now, which is the one that we ended up building. And, um, and so I decided I would do one more company. Um, and that one company, I, I was like, shall I do it in the game space? Because I've built multiple companies. I've spent 30 plus years um, doing games. Or could I take my knowledge of how to work with engineers and everything else and move to to do something different? And the thought was um, to try to see if we could create some massive entity for um, brands and potentially influencers too to, to collaborate. Um, so brands helping brands. And to put it really simply, um, Imagine you have a store that where you sell bicycles online, but you don't have helmets. Is there is there a brand out there that you'd like to collaborate with? Because on a data level, we can just join you together. So their helmets appear in your stores. Today, when when you when stores buy anything, they buy pallets of them and put them in a warehouse somewhere and move them around and hope they pick the right sizes and the right colors. If you do it all digitally, you don't need any of that. So um, you know, it, it massively improves the whole entire model of how e-commerce works. And so that's that's the core business. There's over 30,000 brands already using this technology. So um, so I would say that's pretty exciting. Um, but I did keep my toe in the game industry. I'm on the board of uh, Intellivision. And Intellivision is just making something quite simple, which is Let's make a console literally just to let you play with your family on the sofa and your friends. Not, it's not a console where you're playing, you know, online Call of Duty with each other or something like that. It's literally just um, games with a one sentence instructions. You know, like big fish can eat small fish. Don't get eaten. And 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 uh, you know, if you are skiing, I mean, there's hardly any instructions needed at all for skiing. It's just have fun let's go i'm i'm the red one you're the blue one let's go and so um watching people play like that's the way games used to be and when you watch kids today they still get as excited as we did when we were kids um so i just want to be clear that never went away and yet it's not really being serviced there's not devices being made where the button it says press the red button so the button goes red you know that's it has to be that simple so that, that you could hand one to mom or to dad or to, to a, a young kid, seven, six, um, so, so that everyone can play together. And then the games 
automatically balanced. So if they see somebody's not doing so good, it'll give them, they have a screen and on the screen will appear a little tip like, um, this is, you know, say there's a, a bonus about to appear on the right corner of the screen. It'll say there's a bonus about to appear. <laughs> so you can go over there and grab it. Um, so that's that's really fun. And, and the, the device also is, has no violent games. So I think that's going to really appeal to, to, to the parents um, to have those in the house. So so it's called the Amico from Intellivision. And um, it should be coming out this year. Um, the team is just busting their butts to get it out so it's a lot of work um making a console isn't easy um and making a console during covid is significantly harder and all the games you have to make too so you go well we're making a console but you got to make the games too there's got to be launch titles um and then you got to have a whole library of games coming um and so that's basically what they've pulled off um and so i'm kind of looking forward to it my my what I think is going to happen is there's a lot of very talented developers working on big teams that are doing, you know, $80 million games that with hundreds of people that, it, you know, it's years of their life on this epic title, but they have a son and they'd love to just work on the weekend and make a game that they could play with their son. And the Amico is perfect for that. So it's literally designed for, you know, um, making uh, making those sort of fun, simple games that, that uh, you, you just... I think we're going to find some really talented people just just doing it because they want to play it with their own family. Um, so that's something we'll see what happens. Have you toyed with the dev environment? Yeah, I can't wait. I, I haven't yet, but I, I can't wait. Uh, that's exactly the kind of place I'd like to develop, right? Just make something really, really, um, really addictive and simple so that people and, and and you can see that with the games on it um you know some of the games people just get absolutely locked into and they play over and over and over so um and it's so fun to watch the kids doing that because that just reminds us of our past and so it's a bit like you know when we we're talking earlier about how graphics seem to be advancing but then a minecraft comes along or something like that i think we're still open i mean tetris is still one of the best-selling games in history i, st I we're still open to if it's fun if it's addictive um if I want to play it again and again and again, then, then that seems to be a pretty safe place um, to be developing. Absolutely. Well, David Perry, thank you so much for being here. No problem. Thanks so much. And we're back. We're back. We're back. All righty. Thank you very much, uh, David Perry, for coming in to chat and tell us a little bit about your life and the games and what it means to you so thank you very much and we'll hopefully maybe have you on again and maybe we'll see you working on another matrix game in the future we'll see uh but to wrap it up for the day what have y'all been playing well i guess hmm. i'll go never heard of that game <laughs> <laughs> no that's down well it's tell us more about game. well <laughs> down well is an actual game uh i don't know about well I have been yeah, playing <laughs> against my better judgment League of Legends. Oh wow, uh, wow, 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 wow. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay, hear me out. Hear me out. Let me let me back this up. Uh, I got the itch because there is there's no other game like it. Like you can't escape that that's how the game is. Like 
I wanted to play what, you, a MOBA talking, that had what, Pokemon a high, Unite is like it. Yeah, but Pokemon is on console, and I really don't like console MOBAs. <laughs> oh, you, no, no, no! You got about to start war here, huh? <laughs> uh, no, it's fine. It's fine. But so it's fine. <laughs> so, so League of so Legends. So I started playing, and um, <laughs> I made a rule that I was only going to play with my friends because. The only time... How many new league... friends have you made? No friends. I have made no friends. I've actually lost friends. Uh, no, but League is only fun when you get to hang out with your friends and not care about the actual game and just hang out and, you know, play in the background, basically. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've been doing. Um, and let me say, it is a very different experience from the last time I played it, uh, you know, mm -hmm. four or five years ago. They've made a lot of changes... Uh, it's still the same game, but I have to relearn it. <laughs> so, oh, uh, it's I okay. think the last time I played I, I, is about uh, season four, and since then I never touched a game anymore. Yeah, I remember the last time I was playing, I mean, the season still had numbers. Now they just do year. Wait, they're doing years. Yeah, they, they're I, not like, having I, numbers. Yeah, now it's about. yeah, now it's twenty twenty one season. Oh god! So time flies. Yeah, I uh, I showed my age Dude, by I, yeah, asking what season it was. Uh, it's fine. I played like five years ago for like four or five matches, maybe a little bit longer period of time ago. Uh, but even then, I was like, "This, there's too much going on." I, it, the learning curve for me at that point, I thought, was gonna be way too much for me to fully get into because mm -hmm. all of the other friends that I had were who were playing that were markedly higher level and had hundreds of hours of experience in the game. And starting out, I'm just like, mm, eh, it's okay, I guess. Yeah. But, man, it, I love the aesthetic of it. I love the aesthetic, but also it's it takes a bit for me to... I, I feel comfortable now I'm able to watch, like, competitive league and watch people streaming and doing well on it. But once you, if you're so, like, new to MOBAs entirely like i was it just threw me for a loop like like they're the intro and like showing showing you how to play is so rudimentary and there's like no other real like tricks or like w how you're supposed to play it mm -hmm. or the meta of it but it it's a beautiful game uh hats off to them that'll be an interesting one to see later this year if we see any more large uh esport tournaments with it i think that'll be a cool one to check out but i don't know league of legends you know what you're doing you know what you're doing miles you know what you've done to your life yeah but <laughs> it's okay uh but league of legends is a good game also uh pokemon unite is it's a it's a baby moba well not bait not for babies but it is a good entry point where there's not a ton of stuff to focus on and it's easily graspable. 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 You can pick it up. Let me say that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, anything else anybody else has been playing? All righty then. <laughs> Well, 
I think it's about time that we wrapped up this episode for the day. We want to thank you for listening to the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment's official podcast. If you have any thoughts, questions, corrections, or general museum ideas, please shoot us an email at info at the bay.org. We would like to send out a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our patient supporters who keep the maid afloat. And donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming services and we continue that with future episodes every week. Till then, I'm Chun. I'm Miles. I'm Anthony. I'm... And I'm Red. Thanks, and we will see you next week. Later gamers. Sorry, that was a peak. Yeah, that was a peak. Later gamers.